the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a stark contrast one will explore next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Pride and humility. If you've ever wondered what the contrast would be between those two things, you would need look no further than God's Word. Uniquely and specifically, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 24, the Pharisee and the publican. Welcome to Abounding Grace, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Today, we return to our series in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 24, the Pharisee and the publican. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The Pharisee and the Publican. As you are aware, I'm sure, this is one of the most famous of all Jesus' parables. The parable of the Pharisee and the Publican and their prayers. And I cannot think of a more pertinent parable of Jesus for the modern 21st century America than this one. This is a simple little parable, and yet the more you study it, the more you realize that within it is the world of gospel truth, as I hope you will see. Some of the most important elements of the gospel are to be found in this parable. There are two characters in it, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And we're going to spend our time looking at these two individuals and their different prayers. First of all, the Pharisee and his religion. His religion is the religion of 21st century America. Notice the first thing Jesus says about the people this parable applies to. He said, there are certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Earlier in Luke 16, 15, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees by saying to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. So here we see at the heart of this man's religion, self-righteousness. These are people who trust in their ability to do what God requires in order to be accepted by him. They believe that they have what it takes. They may not be perfect, but they have what it takes to earn, merit, deserve salvation by doing enough good deeds or good works. You know, tell the truth, pay your debts, don't kick your cat, you know, things like that, in order to make enough points with God to be accepted by Him. That is the heart of of pharisaical religion, and that's why it's called legalism, and it is the religion of most of the churches today. They are full of self-confidence, self-trust, 
and they believe they have what it takes to do, what it takes to make enough points with God, so that when they die, they will have done more good deeds than bad deeds and to earn favor with God. And as a result, they think they have what we call justification by works. This has been a problem throughout the history of Christendom. There have been those who have thought that they could do what it takes to be a member of God's family. Now, let me give you just a few, a few passages. First, in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Paul's talking here about the same religion that Jesus is putting the blowtorch to in this parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is the Israelites, is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that a man who practices the righteousness which is by the law shall live by that righteousness. Now here Paul is attacking the thing most Americans believe. He says, sincerity is not enough. You can be insincere in what you believe. You can be zealous in what you practice, but it is not enough. Whenever you try to work to establish your own righteousness and make yourself look good in the sight of God, it is obvious that there is a guilty ignorance dominating you that is keeping you from God. Because the law of God was not given for that purpose. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth so that all of those who perverted the law of God by trying to use it as a ladder and climb to God might toss away that whole process and lay themselves at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ crying out to Him for mercy. In Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 22, we read, Now we know, says Paul, that whatever the law says, that is the Old Testament, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. In other words, you can't get your sins forgiven and be accepted with God as his child by obeying his laws. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Now when you read this passage with concentration, nothing could be clearer. It says the law of God was not given to justify us, but to convict us. The law of God wasn't given to us as a way to perform good deeds and hopefully work our way to the Lord. 
It was given to us to show us that we are sinners, to convict us of our sins and to show us our need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that justification, that is forgiveness of our sins and acceptance into God's family as his child, is totally apart from the law of God. I love what the great 19th century theologian W.D. Shedd said. He said, when it comes to justification, good works are good for nothing because good works don't bleed. Our justification is totally separate from the law of God. Paul also says that what I'm teaching you about the gospel and about justification by faith is taught in the Old Testament. Now, that's certainly contradictory to what most people today believe. Many people today believe that in the Old Testament, there was one way of being accepted with God, and that was by doing enough good deeds. While in the New Testament, God worked out a new way, and that's by faith. But that dichotomy, beloved, does not exist in Scripture. Paul says here, the entire gospel, the entire Bible tells us that righteousness is by faith and not by the obedience of the law of God. That justification is only through faith in Jesus Christ for anyone who believes. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It does not matter how wicked you've been in your life. If you rest upon Christ alone for salvation, forgiveness of sins is yours. And acceptance into the family God and a title deed to eternal life. In Romans 4, verses 2 through 5, we read, For if Abraham... Now, let me ask you, did Abraham live in the Old Testament or in the New Testament? Of of course, the Old Testament. And it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but is as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Here again, Paul is reiterating that the gospel of justification by faith means that it is not by obedience to the law of God. That is not taught anywhere in the Old Testament. When you believe and you get your sins forgiven and you are accepted with God on the basis of some meritorious works or deeds on your part, then you can boast about it, Paul says. Anything you can take credit for, you can boast about. And moreover, if that is the way you are saved then salvation and acceptance with God is not a free gift. 
It is something you then deserve. It is something you have earned. If I get my sins forgiven, and I receive acceptance with God on the basis of my good deeds that I'm always performing, and I am earning all kinds of points with God, then if God forgives me, it is a wage. It is something I deserve. It is no longer a free gift, which is a total contradiction to the Word of God, which says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at one other passage in Acts chapter 15. Now, what I'm trying to do, friends, is to show you that this thing has always been a problem. This is why Jesus told this parable. That's why Paul wrote about it. People are always wanting to take some credit for their salvation. There there must be something I've got to do to earn my salvation. There is surely something I can do to secure my relationship with Almighty God. But the entire Bible was written to put a blowtorch to that view. Notice now one of the first Presbytery meetings in Acts 15, which dealt with an issue that was troubling some of the churches. We see the issue in verses 1 and 5. And some men came down from Judea, from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved by works. Verse 5. Certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, they actually even called themselves Christians, stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the laws of Moses. Now, what is this sect sect of Pharisees saying? They are saying, believing in Jesus is good. You've got to believe in Jesus. We're not downplaying believing in Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus in order to get the strength and the grace to live a life that you need to live in order to make enough points with God to be used at last. Pharisaical Christians truncate the gospel by leaving out one very important word, alone. Salvation is by faith alone, which is also a gift of God. Belief itself is also a gift of God. The Catholic Church, as well as many evangelical churches to this very day, teach that you must receive Christ in order to receive the grace and the strength to do all the good deeds and good works and acts of kindness that are necessary to make enough points to be saved when you die. Now, my friends, that is a miserable kind of existence. It is the kind of existence that has no certainty in it. It has no assurance in it. I mean, when do you know when you have enough points. 
What if you live your life and you work hard and you sacrifice and you're diligent in your faith and, and you are pure, and then one second after you die, you realize you're one point short. Then it all means nothing. That was the religion of the Pharisees. This Pharisee trusted in himself, Jesus said. Now, that wasn't someone making a casual remark. That wasn't Jesus saying, well, from my observation of this guy. Remember, God looks on the inside appearance, the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. From my observation, Jesus says, of this guy, it appears to me that he's trusting in himself. Is that what he was saying? No. These are the words of the Son of God. He isn't trying to make some quick external estimation of this man. He is saying, I know this man's heart. I know what's going on down within him. He trusts in himself. He thinks he has what it takes to make things right with God. Let me stop here and make a little application, a very important application. The real adversaries of the people of God and the church of Christ, your worst enemies and most dangerous enemies, the real opponents to God are not the Muslims. They are not the theological liberals. They are not the Marxists or the socialists, as bad as all these people are. They are not even the atheist. The most dangerous enemies of the church are those who believe and teach a gospel where they try to mix both faith and works as a way to be justified and have their sins forgiven with God and be accepted into his family. Why? Because it sounds so close to reality. It sounds so good. But believing their truncated gospel makes it impossible to benefit from the true gospel. So if you believe a gospel that says, now to be saved, to have your sins forgiven and be accepted into God's family, to be justified with God, you must believe in Jesus and then spend the rest of your life earning enough points to go to heaven when you die and receive your salvation once and for all. If you believe anything like that, you will not benefit, it says here, from the true gospel. Now, do you think that's an exaggeration? Wait until you hear what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. No benefit. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, that is, obedience to the law. You have fallen from grace. Now, those are strong words. 
It says if you are trying to develop and are teaching a gospel that says you must believe in Jesus and then do enough good deeds to receive your salvation and to get in good with God, the true gospel will be of no benefit to you. You have severed yourself from Christ, and as far as your teaching is concerned, you have fallen from Christ and fallen from the gospel of grace. That's why I say to you that those preachers and teachers and books and tapes and DVDs that try to mix faith in Christ and good deeds as the basis of having our sins forgiven and being accepted with God, are your worst enemy. And then there's a second reason why these Pharisees are your worst enemies, and that is because all of us, even as Christians, have the sinful tendency to believe them. All of us have a pride in our heart that lies right at the root of all of our sins, It is a sin against which we always fight. And therefore, when we hear anything that tries to flatter us, that tries to build us up, that gives us ground to take credit before God and say, in some way or another, we've done something that impresses Him. There's a tendency within even Christians that we must resist because it pampers our human pride. Oh, I'd like to take credit for something. I don't want to go to a church when the preacher's always reminding me that I'm a sinner or where the preacher is always telling me I'm depraved or the preacher is always telling me I should be convicted of my sins and there is nothing in and of myself that I can do. I want to at least do something. I, may, I, I mean, I may not be able to die on the cross for others, but surely... There's something that I can take credit for. There's always this tendency within us as Christians to look for some way to take credit for something before God. And that is why Pharisaical teachers and a Pharisaical gospel that mixes faith and works and justification is such a dangerous enemy to you and me. Then there is the Pharisee's prayer. Notice where he stood to pray. He stood in the most public place possible. And probably at that time of the day when most people went, would be present at the temple to see and hear him. And I love what Jesus said in verse 11. Now remember, this is the one who looks at the heart. This is an infallible judgment on this man. This isn't some quick observation. Jesus sees the heart, and he says in verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. I mean, this man's whole prayer is phony. His entire thanksgiving to Christ is phony. Jesus says, I can see that man's heart, and he is no more talking to God than the man in the moon. He's praying to himself. He's full of a sense of self-importance, and he is conscious of all these people looking at him. And that is what determines how he prays. Let me ask you a question before we go any further. But please, don't raise your hands. 
How many of you have ever prayed like that? How many of you, when you prayed, were conscious of the other people around you listening? How many of you have ever prayed to yourself, acting like you were praying to God so that others could hear? Don't say you never have, because we are all guilty of these things. And this Pharisee was just as, if not more, guilty of such a thing. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Thank you.